previously on Martini Giant. You know, I'm still a visual effects artist, but you know, I've been taking past year working on my thing, personal mm-hmm. project. Right. Um, you know, shoe tree stuff, but the thing <laughs> oh, you're is, you're doing the electric shoe tree, like electronic in China. shoe trees. They're like the Alexa shoe trees. Because you're sending me all those photographs yeah. from China. You're just like, I'm in Beijing. Look at these shoe trees. I just got back from China yesterday, Wuhan, and I was visiting, doing a factory tour. Oh, uh, kind of empty. Everyone was on vacation, apparently. But um, <laughs> that's in, that's in that city. <coughs> Excuse me. Exclusively. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I got a little cold. Um, so um, sure, it's gonna be fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Right. I actually, was. I was in that by the by the hookers and on the Culver City lot. <laughs> They're yeah. not hookers. I know, but they would look like hookers, and it was fine. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, but the point is, uh, I had a standing desk. First time I ever had a standing desk. Yeah, they and have great desks. They have great desks. So great, great hookers. Desks. Great hookers. Like totally fine. It's a gig. It's McDonald's. Uh, not a problem. I'm totally fine with it. But don't mix the two and say no, no, no. It's art, and then. Give me the B minus. Like, art is art, and that's what I break my back for. You well, have to look so. I'll tell lo- you what. Some say it's pathetic, <laughs> but this goes when back. you give up your aesthetic for a blue collar job in a factory. <laughs> but all that exhibiting is just too damn inhibiting. Yeah, that's for the guy beer you played for me drinking that. a regular guy like me. Welcome back, Martini Giant fans. This is episode number two hundred and thirty-seven which are some very obscure, weird comedies that uh, we decided would be appropriate to put up about now. The first one is from 1997 called The Wrong Guy, directed by David Steinberg, starring Dave Foley, Jennifer Tilly, and many more. The second one is from 2002, and it's called Run, Ronnie, Run. And I've mentioned it on the podcast a few times before. Anyway, it's directed by Troy Miller and the stars David Cross, Bob Odenkirk, plus many, 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 many cameos and some really, really big ones. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, these movies are so obscure and so goofy that uh, they're pretty much not only available on YouTube, and the only reason they are on YouTube, for free, by the way, is that uh, people seem to have put them up on YouTube and no one even bothered to take them down. So they're up there, and uh, they're pretty low-quality uh, uploads, but I think it's still completely watchable and completely appropriate that they're low-quality. Um, these uh, are comedies that I think are the right thing to see right now. So, as I said. Um, okay, a couple of notes before we get into this. Uh, one of the things is that uh, this is a podcast that, that we recorded uh, just last week uh, when we kind of started to go into isolation. And uh, everyone's been, you know, a little bit touchy about all this stuff. And I figured I would put up a podcast that was a little bit more current to our times because we do have a whole bunch of podcasts that were recorded previously. And I haven't decided to, you know, I decided I wasn't going to put those up just yet. I want to do something a little more current just to be more in simpatico and more uh, to our situation. Uh, but there are plenty. And just to give you guys a taste that are they're going to come out, I don't know if I'll put them out a little bit early or whatever, or they could be on a regular schedule. But we do finally have the Clockwork Orange episode that we have been anticipating for a long time. We also do have uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is a movie, believe it or not, that Eric Shealy has never seen. He had never seen uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So we did do that one. That one's a lot of fun. Uh, we did some Wes Anderson films as well. So there's a whole bunch of stuff coming up. So hopefully... Uh, you guys will be tuned in to those episodes as they come out. Um, so that's about it. Oh, one more note. 
because we were recording this in isolation and each one of us was in our own homes. We were using a new system, which I've been using for my CG Garage podcast. I'm just getting used to it, but uh, there was a little bit of an issue with Dan Thrawn. There was a significant um, delay between his audio and ours, and uh, I'm trying to edit out some of those little pauses, but it does make it a little bit more awkward. Uh, we're solved most. Of, we're solving most of those technical issues, so it'll be much better the next time we do it. But uh, hopefully, you guys can forgive us. Uh, on one last note, another technical issue is that uh, right around the end of the podcast, we were on a big rant, and then suddenly uh, the 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 whole system stopped working, and we st- we had to kind of stop the podcast. Uh, and then so there's going to be a pause, and then we get back into it. But then we decided, you know what, might as well just end it at that point. So there's a little bit of a pause. So it seems a little bit of an abrupt ending, but hopefully you guys will forgive us. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Hopefully enjoy The Wrong Guy and Run, Ronnie, Run. So, uh, so guys, this is uh, you know our new normal now, unfortunately. We can't get together on Tuesday evenings and sit around in a room and... Uh, record podcasts uh, like we did. So we're going to do this instead, which is going to be fine, I think. Um, what, uh, how are you guys doing? Doing okay? Eric, Eric's doing okay. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I might, somebody just emailed me, I might work for them remotely, doing some nuke stuff, but. Oh, okay. Nice. Who knows? Um, but it's, uh, other than that, I'm just, you know, talking to the guys I work with, trying to make what I sent you guys earlier happen. But you know. is there still a little bit of momentum there, or is it just kind of like? Apparently, you know, I just don't know what who to believe or what you know. I just get secondhand phone calls, but apparently so. But we're supposed to be talking to showrunners this week or next week via huh. stuff like this. But I don't know. Yeah. That's All right. Great. I don't know. I mean, everything my partner says, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's secondhand. So I don't know. I hear you. Well, I hear you. But uh, so when, since we are stuck in our houses and uh, we can't normally get together like we did and everyone is stuck in their houses, uh, I figured everyone needs a little bit of comic relief uh, and the stupider the better. So I figured these two movies were the stupidest that I could think of, but really related in some strange way. Oh yeah, same so art, I, same actor is in it. See, yes, <laughs> yes. So bo- uh, Dave Foley it's is Dave in Foley two times. Yeah, it's lovely. Dave Dave Foley is in both of them. Uh, Dave Foley is the star of one of them. Uh, they're both stories about guys who run from the cops. <laughs> they are both so low budget and obscure that they're completely free on YouTube or <laughs> someone put them up there and no one bothered to take it down. <laughs> uh, so uh, I didn't know bo- any of these, either of these movies at all. It was amazing. You didn't know either of them? Yeah. What it, okay. So you guys had never seen Run, Ronnie, Run, right? No. That was... Yeah, obviously it's a takeoff on. I had never Lola heard Run. of Run Ronnie Run, and I had never heard of the wrong guy. Right. <laughs> Which one quickly did you like the most? 
me, the wrong guy. But, oh. but, uh, cause I think that one's just a, a little slightly more sophisticated, <laughs> just slightly. But, uh, but what I, I love about, I like both uh, of these uh, movies the same, but for a wildly different reason. Okay. I actually think, I actually think run, Ronnie run is more sophisticated than the wrong uh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many more uh, cameos in Run, Runny, Run. It's ridiculous. The cameo, f- it's like every comedian in Hollywood decided I have to be in this stupid movie. <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but here's and- the thing. Both movies, from, from my take, were basically made, um, you know, not to go down, the, honestly, not to go down this road, but... You know, in the early 2000s, right when I first met you, I worked in a theater, mm-hmm. right? And I directed in theater, and I met all these actors, and I worked there for like three years at night. Right, I remember, yeah. Yeah, and I would go, but everybody became friends, and we'd all help each other on our films, right? So I was in some films, I would shoot it, I would bring my truck, I would DP, and you just learn. And I made 15 shorts in like four or five years. Right. But that kind of mentality where it's like, oh, we're all friends from comedy improv and blah, blah, blah. That's both where it seemed both movies are like that. Like some of the actors in there in, um, you know, the wrong guy were kind of like, yeah, that's Charlie from the theater company, you know, and he's not the most powerful actor, but he's in there. So it just seemed like friends helping out a friend make a movie. Both seem that way. But I thought Run, Ronnie, Run was more successful, maybe because the friends were more accomplished. They are much more accomplished. Yeah, I mean these are these are these are serious people in the in the comedy circuit in L.A. Right? These are all oh yeah. They all like Sarah Silverman and uh, Bob Oakenberg. Jeff Goldblum was in one. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Just like, and then when he has his big Hollywood party and like everyone's at the house. Yeah. Like they're ben all Ben still like everyone's there as themselves, as parodies of themselves. Even That's better. right. Yeah. So for me, I liked, I felt going, even though both were kind of, for me, story-wise, I understood the story better on run, runny run. Right. I actually thought it's 2002, but I feel like there were some shots in that. And maybe Dan, you can fight with me and say, you're wrong. And you're not a good person and all those things that you usually say to me or behind my back, I feel like I feel like down there's a great I can't believe I'm forgetting it, but it's called uh it's down and sweet down. It was the baseball player down and south or south and low down. What was that comedy? Um Sweet and Low Down. No, uh about the baseball uh right, remember that? Uh Oh, the baseball? Oh, Bull Bull Run? Oh, uh, oh, Bull uh, Durham? No, 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 no. no. I was mixing it. No, 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 I got it. It's the HBO show, and it's Southbound and Down. Southbound, Southbound and, and Down. And down. Yes. Right. I actually felt when he was going by in the beginning, going by all these people at the market and so forth, hey, sorry I did this to you. Hey, I sorry I did this. That right. was Southbound and Down. I feel like Southbound and Down took some chops from that about the outcast in the small town or the outcast approach. I really, there was something to that. I was like, Oh my God, he riffed off of that. 
I actually thought it was a decent little movie. And you could oh, yeah, tell. I think that that guy is actually sort of the second wave of that uh, kind of humor. Because, like, with Run, Ronnie, Run and um, uh, Wrong Guy, both of these were more or less made in, in the same time frame. Because Run, Ronnie, Run was actually made in 1999 or, or 2000. Oh, wait. Oh, uh, Run, Ronnie, was, Run was? Yeah. 2002. And, uh, That's when it yeah. was released. And it wasn't Run, Ronnie, Run, Run. No, it was it was released in two thousand two because right. the um, the studio didn't want to release it. They thought it was trash, and so they just released it to video in two thousand two. It was never in theaters at all. Wow. Yeah, I, Karen. Okay. Well, yeah, it's funny because and I think we mentioned this, but Karen's the one. I mean, who loves both of these movies? She's the one who found them. She's got she she loves movies like this, like really obscure, bizarre comedies of some kind and so to her this is like pure gold you know uh so we were actually looking at it and she was looking probably why because she spends her day um she's an accomplished you know uh supervisor but she was an artist doing working on high-end films everything is beautiful and glossy and she makes everything prettier 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 right (laughs) see things with like grit and you know, mistakes and that imperfection you get attracted to because you're like, you know what? I don't have, I look at the medium and I try to make everything so beautiful. You get sick of kind of the things that you're looking at. And since most things fit that high bar she works on, when you see something gritty, you're like, oh, I love it because it's just the opposite of what I stare at all day. I think she also just likes goofy comedy. Yeah. Okay. Like- I, that's for me. I only watch movies when I was doing a lot of that film stuff. Right. 2000 fought up. I would, Never. I always liked the movies that, um, a little more gritty. Well, just more. opposite of what I was working on because I just couldn't stand. Right. You know, you just get, and then by the time Marvel stuff came around, you're like, God, I can't watch these movies because everything is, yep, fake per perfection. Right. And it's you, after a while, you just can't look at green screen lighting on shoulders because it's like it's so white. You know, like, ah, oh, the green screen lighting is so crisp, you know? Yeah. And you're like, you could just tell it and you just get sick of it. And you're like, I hate that look. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. All Marvel uh, movies seem to take place outside on cloudy days. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. 1970 uh, was all cloudy days. So, so since... Yeah. What was that, Eric? Sorry, right. go ahead. 1917. If you watch how the, I love 1917, the movie. Yeah, I know. You mentioned it they, a lot. Um, they shot it all on cloudy days. So they have to, they, they kind of worked. Deacons, I think, worked with a, uh, a, uh, a weather a, company. Yeah. <laughs> and they would text him and say, I think you're going to have clouds. <laughs> with God himself. And they would shift gears and run out to the field and shoot a scene. And then they would go back to another part and do this or that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so since, uh, you know, we, 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 we've covered, uh, we covered uh, Ferris Bueller, uh, which is a movie that Eric had never seen. We covered um, uh, Clockwork Orange, which is a movie I have never seen. And now we cover these stupid movies that uh, Dan had never seen. Now, granted, we really had to go down deep in the well of, 
mediocrity to find movies that Eric uh, that Dan had not seen. So that was kind of a, a nice accomplishment that we had done. <laughs> uh, but uh, and I think I don't remember which order these are going to come out. But I, this is going to come out pretty soon. I think I want to bring this one out um, next week, Eric, just to be sort of a little bit more current uh, with our oh, situation. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, we can okay. do that, can't we? Yeah, I'll just um, okay. It's and a what, week for a week for it'll be on Wednesday, so we've got like six days to do some artwork. Yeah, and so what you need to do is you need to send us the pictures, pictures. that you want, and then uh, I'll have you know my kids take pictures of me, and then I'll just send them to you. Now How's here's a question: What's the movie after that? I don't know. We have a lot still in the can. Yeah, because I'm doing the artwork for them, so I'd like to know. Oh, um, okay. You know what? Okay, I'll work on the schedule today. Yeah, you know, that way I know what you'll, to... You'll, you'll stay on top of it. Yep. So I could talk to my team and get them to work. Yeah. Um, Over time. And, yeah, well, they're, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, but Dan, since you had not seen these films, uh, you liked them both, but for very different reasons you mentioned, right? Yes, I really, uh, I loved both of these things. And uh, the thing that I loved about them, and I think Karen might agree with me on this, is that I really like dumb movies made by very smart people. And when you look at the track record of the directors in both of these cases, you can see that they go on to direct like Arrested Development and Flight of the Concords when it was a producer on that and uh, like uh, lots of great stuff for HBO. Like they're really, really successful uh, writer directors uh, behind the camera, uh, as well as working with this amazing comedy team in both cases. And like uh, they both have this awesome sense of being really uh, daring. One is like daring and ridiculous. Uh, and one is daring and formal, which is what I really liked about uh, the wrong guy. Like the wrong guy is like basically made like a Hitchcock movie um, with absolutely no tension whatsoever. Like it has aggressively <laughs> no tension and it makes it funnier and funnier and funnier as this time goes on. And, uh, like they, they'll even start to bring tension into it and immediately diffuse it in the, in the most obvious ways. And, uh, uh, and then run, Ronnie run is just like this utterly, like, I mean, it's, we have to tell people like run, run and run is a little offensive all over the place, but if you're into it, it's just so insanely ridiculous all the time uh, that it just comes off as like silly, breezy and excellent. And uh, even though they're, they're doing stuff that is sometimes kind of shocking, like yes. it all just comes off like uh, silly and fun loving. And I'm really, really happy with both these movies. Yeah. Uh, I think it's funny because we were all talking about it and, and it was saying, even though they're both completely ridiculous and silly comedies, I could watch the wrong guy with the kids and they would find it hilarious. The wrong guy is perfectly fine to watch with kids. Mm -hmm. uh, run, runny, run, not at all cool to watch with kids <laughs> based, on, <laughs> based on a lot of the content in there. But just as silly and goofy and just as high quality of comedy, which I think is really interesting as well. Uh, but do you want to give a, a quick synopsis of these things? Hopefully people – listen, guys, it's on YouTube. You can just watch it. We can watch it while we're talking about it, but uh, we'll give the links in the in the in the, uh, in the on the podcast page. But what's your synopsis of the? Let's start with the wrong. Yeah, guy. we really hope that these movies like 
stayed there uh, <laughs> that they uh catch on from just this po- po- like they, they catch on from this podcast because like we were al- i was alerted to uh the wrong guy from and this discussion essentially started because one of our uh listeners uh uh alex uh wrote in saying have you seen this movie it's unbelievably hilarious and i watched it and i couldn't even believe that i I didn't know anything about this thing whatsoever. And, uh, and I'm a huge Dave Foley fan and right. Kids in the Hall fan. Um, so, uh, thank you, Alex. This thing was a total gold mine. Um, but the, uh, the wrong guy is Dave Foley is a selfish, rich, um, uh, go getter who works at a major corporation and climbing he's the corporate basically ladder. trying to climb his way up this climbing the corporate ladder. Exactly. Yeah. And he, uh, uh, and he is uh, put in a situation where he believes that everyone thinks that he murdered his boss. And in fact, nobody believes that he murders his boss. But the problem is, since he doesn't find this out, he is on the run from the cops when the cops are not chasing him. And the only one who is uh, thinking that uh, this guy is a danger is the actual killer, and the cops already know who the killer is, and they're just trying to find that guy. They just happen to be in the same uh, areas over and over and over again until the, the killer, played by Colm Fiore, who's totally awesome. He's also in 32 short films about Van Gogh. Uh, right. That he believes that Dave Foley must be a genius when actually Dave Foley is a moron. <laughs> and yep. it's completely amazing. So that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's the first one. And then the, uh, the second one, Run, Ronnie, Run, is uh, uh, David Cross, who uh, is a, a, a unbelievably silly, uh, ridiculous experimental comedian who worked with uh, Bob Odenkirk, who is now on, I guess, Better Call Saul. Um, and it's Bob Odenkirk in this movie also, along with like 400 other cameos of incredibly famous actors. Uh, and uh, he plays, uh, Dave Cross plays Ronnie, who is this Ronnie Dobbs, of, uh, <laughs> Southern fried, ridiculous caricature, Ronnie Dobbs. And Ronnie Dobbs is, just gets into trouble all the time with the cops and ends up on the equivalent of the show Cops all the time. And so uh, he has become like famous in a sort of pre-YouTube way, a YouTube star. And uh, 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 Hollywood comes calling and decides to turn him into a movie star so he moves to los angeles to get rich and famous and it's the classic story of becoming rich and famous and how it ruins his life uh but the it is a uh, complete it's more or less a sketch comedy movie which is just a grab bag of random things but they're so funny and so strange and it's so awesome to see all these now extremely famous people and famous comedians uh like they're just all palling around because this is what was happening in la in the late 90s you know like this is the crew uh before they all went on to you know go do their own famous acts and uh it's a tremendous movie and i love david cross he hasn't been that big on the scene lately but it was great to see him again and uh somehow watching it on youtube made it even more of a surreal experience for me because it feels like something you, what you'd find Ronnie Dobbs on YouTube and watching right. run Ronnie run on YouTube makes sense. The other thing that's interesting is that it was, uh, uh, the, the whole, because these are basically ripped off and put on YouTube and no one cares to take them off. Uh, these are 320 by 240. These are super low quality, like you said, right? So not only is it YouTube, but it's low quality YouTube by a long shot. And I think that's just kind of an interesting, uh, thing as well that it's like that that's the way it is. But these are, 
David Cross is an interesting person because he's 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 from Georgia. He's from Atlanta. That's where he's from, right? So all of his uh, stand-up comedy, he he does center around sort of his dislike for some of the Southern culture, you know, a little bit. Although he appreciates it, he mm-hmm. sort of you know makes fun of it, and he's got his you know he's he does his he's very typical. Uh, redneck accent that he does the whole time and he which he does in all of his comedy uh pieces as well so he's kind of a kind of a weird guy david cross kind of a weird guy but it's a it was it was pretty uh it's pretty funny and also they're making fun of reality shows because this was at the when reality shows were really starting to take off yeah uh, and they were really stupid and so they make they make fun of the show survivor and have a new show that they or a show called elimination an elimination, and you know they vote the guy off, but instead of actually voting him off and sending him home, they kill him and eat him and cannibalize him because that's their only food and sustenance is to eat, <laughs> eat, eat, eat the other contestant. I mean, that's just literally how stupid this is, but it's pretty funny. Pretty funny. So I have to say that the MVP of Run Ronnie Run for me though has to be Mandy Patinkin on the stage yes. show version of Run Ronnie Run. That was so great. Is one of the funniest things I have ever oh seen in a film. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. I can't believe they got that many people. It's every right. moment was like, like he owns it completely. So just was- to give people an idea, is basically he becomes Run Ronnie Run becomes a big sensation. And they decide to do a Broadway musical of Run, Ronnie, Run. And it's just Manny Potemkin uh, dressed in overalls, just overalls, no shirt underneath the overalls, doing this beautiful song about running from the cops yeah. in a very Broadway performance. Yeah, it, it was, was really, really it was really good. That's why I was like, the production value alone was better uh, than uh, the other show. What I well, I think what I like that Dave like I like the wrong guy a little bit better is that it was oh you know like I think it was more like it's a Hitchcock film it's a parody of a Hitchcock film right in a in some ways right uh, but even down to the music down to the way they shot everything it was a little bit more like direct the other one was just straight up goofy like the you know Run Runny Run was straight up goofy to me. Uh, but the, it's there's some golden moments in it, the real golden moments in it, which I think are really funny. Yeah, I actually I didn't you know I really didn't like that much of the wrong guy. Really? Yeah, it didn't hit a, a, a note for me. I just Interesting. I I, um, I guess because I think it's the approach to the comedy. I am not a Kids in the Hall fan, even though Lauren Michaels produced it. I think it's like I just. I never got into that style of comedy. Interesting. I would have thought the other way around, honestly. I would have thought you would have liked that one better. But it's funny you say that. Um, yeah, no, I didn't like it because it was a little too... Um, you know what it is? It was like... I felt like some of the uh, actors... Uh, like the cop thing... He was very much like the, the type of comedy that was in airplane, right? Right. He's like, uh, let's get a let's get a restaurant, put it on an expense account, that kind of thing. Right. We'll go to a strip club <clears throat> and all that. Those kind of that kind of um, his beats and the way he was doing the comedy was different from what Foley was doing. 
in a way. And so it took me out of it because, and that's why I was like, oh, it must be all his friends from the comedy troupe. I didn't know what, it, it just, it confused me because the, I was. The, uh, well, the, the whole point, right? The way I look at the wrong guy and I was, I watched it, I actually watched it twice. Um, the whole thing is irony. Everything is about irony in this thing, right? And I mean by, by the true definition of irony. It's the opposite of what it should be, right? You think that there's going to be a lot of tension between him running, and there isn't, and that's the humor in it. The humor is that irony. You think that the cops are going to be really obsessive about it, but they're basically just stumbling on to the right answer every time without even trying, even though they actually don't want to do their jobs, right? And uh, the other one is like – the other one that I thought was hilarious was – the bank is the good guy and the farmer is the bad that guy. That was great. That was great. <laughs> you know what I mean? The farmer's like, I'm going to take this bank back and I'm going to tear it down and put some wheat fields in here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That no was more smart. Walmart you know, for I you. Really, I'm going to grow some that, corn. Uh, like, there's this, like, I think that there's a, uh, there's a quality to the wrong guy that is very much of the 90s. In, and I mean this in a critical way, and I agree with Eric on this. this are, like, there's a kind of a production value that is very similar to 90s comedies like Clueless or uh, these very, very soft TV-looking comedies. Uh, that aren't very visually inventive and the, and they don't really know how to shoot them, shoot comedy very well. Uh, and I said the wrong guy kind of falls into that a little bit. And I agree that, uh, it, the cast isn't quite as in tune with each other in the wrong guy as they, as it is in Run Ronnie Run. Like Run Ronnie Run is obviously, these are not just friends, but these are people that work together quite often and have been on the circuit for a long time together. Whereas, uh, Run, uh, rather, um, uh, the wrong guy, uh, like, there are people that just don't work in the movie because they're not hitting the same beats of the movie as Eric is saying. Um, yeah. But the people that do hit the right beats uh, are just on the money. Like I've never liked uh, yeah. Tilly so much as I do in this movie because I like gets Tilly the a lot in this movie, and she works with Foley extremely well. And like she is great, so funny. Yeah. And like the, one of the great moments in the movie is when they are uh, up on the top of the Statue of Liberty head on the uh, mini golf course. And it's going great. back and forth between the cops and her and the killer and all this. And it's like, that's when like everybody like got on, on the same page comedically. And it was one of the funniest scenes of the film. It's really, really great. But like the, the centerpiece for the movie of the movie. And the reason why the movie hit so well for me is not only do I like kids in the hall, but like, it's sort of interesting to see a movie that is of this sort of, production range this 90s production range that gives the um reins to foley to do what foley does best like one of my favorite things in the movie uh just by himself is when he is talking to uh uh bruce from kids in the hall uh going to the the hotel he's getting the hotel room and he says why would i why would i need to steal a car why do i need to take somebody else's car when obviously i have a and there's this really long pause and he realizes <laughs> that he doesn't know what kind of car that he stole. And he has to look behind him to try to check it out. But it just gets longer and longer and this and you and everyone knows what's happening. And finally he looks back, tries to glance and then doesn't recognize what kind of car it is. And so he just wholesale looks. I was just like, this is unbelievable. Like the timing is absolutely perfect on this thing. Uh, so that's, that's why I love that stuff. And I would say, and just around this, I know I'm rambling just to get it all in one. It's, but the, uh, the, uh, the, the, this kind of comedy is what evolved to me, evolved into what became things like, um, hot rod and superstar and, uh, and stuff like that, um, which are, 
like very very modern uh snappy tight comedy that mm-hmm. uh is the what it, what most of youtube is today is referencing that stuff and so it kind of comes around a long way to get to run ronnie one runs success uh and that's the end of my run on that one i just want to get it all at once <laughs> yeah you know and it's also i think uh i there were moments in uh the wrong guy which i thought it, the whole movie would have been better like when he was walking through the field with her and then he keeps walking and he's about to he reveals something and realize she passed out. <laughs> she right? has narcolepsy. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> I think they took her character uh, for Rango. Annie Hall. No, Rango, the, the animated movie. <laughs> <laughs> right? Sorry, it's just the, the great uh, Annie Hall line. <laughs> like, no, he's dead. <laughs> now, like, if you saw Rango, the, the animated <laughs> film, have you ever seen that film? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've still never seen all of Rango. Oh, it's I such have, a. I've seen it Rango, countless times. I've seen, the, I've seen the like forty percent of Rango. It seems but really the good. girl yeah. in it who freezes in the middle of talking. Okay. She, she keeps freezing, so it kind of breaks up the scene <laughs> between Johnny Depp's character and her. She'll just stop and stare off into space for one minute, and she's like, "Oh, I hate when that happens." Kind of like what happens to her, and she falls asleep. And so I, I actually think they, they probably like uh, Gore Vibinski was like, ah, oh, that character of just falling asleep in the middle of, of um, you know, discussion is great. I think he kind of. But she, but Jennifer Tilly's always had that, like, the she plays the 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 sexy, slightly ditzy girl really. Mm-hmm really well right and a lot of it has to do obviously she's very attractive she's very sexy but she's it's her voice it's her timing and that you know all of that you know i think i remember the first what's really great is that she plays the same dumb character but she is now the smartest one in the movie yes (laughs) yeah again ironically (laughs) (laughs) yeah meg Uh. tilly to me there's something like diane weist about her that i love meg tilly or Jennifer Tilly. The one in the yeah. movie, Jennifer, right? Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, it's like there's a Diane Weist quality to her as well yes. that I always liked her. And I don't know what happened. Yeah, I agree. I mean, agree. Um, if she, does she still act or? I have to look that up. Not sure what she's been up to, but man, oh man, it's like when she's like when they're she's walking with Foley, and Foley's like, I don't know what happened, but after that, after the car crash, you know, I just had this. Uh, what do you call it? She's like epiphany, and he's like, No, 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 that's not. It. That's uh, it. You're <laughs> describing an epiphany. <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> like it's like a religious experience. You mean an epiphany? No. <laughs> See, that stuff no. was great. <laughs> that stuff was really good. Like that in between, I w- wanted to see more of him and her, like yeah. that love story. The, uh, the scene of her in a nightgown in the doorway just cracked me up. You oh, turn on an angle. You have to see the movie to see that. Cause it was just really funny to me. And she plays it really well. She's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> She's like, it was just really good. Really, really good. The first time I think I ever saw Jennifer Tilly, believe it or not, was she played a prostitute on Hill Street Blues. Wow. And she was a returning character on Hill Street Blues. That was the first time. And she was really, really, really funny in, in Hill Street Blues. I remember that. And I think it's like, oh, my God, she's really good. Uh, but that must have been in the 80s. God. Yeah. Late 80s. 
Yeah. No, she was on uh, the Big, Big Chill, wasn't she? Was she on the Big Chill? Who was in the Big Chill? Was it her? I'm I'm looking her up on IMDb right now. Oh my God, she's okay. Hill Street Blues, uh, 1984, 1985. That's when she played on Hill Street Blues. Okay. She did a couple other TV things. It is Meg Tilly in the Big Chill. Okay. Is Meg Tilly right? She was also in Moonlighting. Yeah, Meg Tilly is the slightly better actress for uh, serious roles, and Jennifer Tilly is the better actor for uh, comedy roles. Generally. Comedy roles, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think Jennifer Tilly was also really into um, uh, poker, like world championships of poker. I think she ended up marrying one of the like the big like poker champion guys, and ended up playing professional poker for a while no kidding mm-hmm. jennifer that's really interesting because uh dave foley it was also the host of one of the uh poker shows for a long time i guess they must have like uh really? picked that up from one another is she canadian yeah she really is strange. canadian okay i don't know i don't know where she's from let me see does it tell me in here where she's from is she canadian or not uh actress uh, nope, born in California. 19- How old is she? She's uh, born in 1958, so oh. she's like uh, your age, Eric. Oh, God, douche. Oh, <laughs> douche, bad. <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, she was uh, she was on world world championship of poker. I remember Karen, Karen for some reason was watching like she would watch. Uh, ESPN poker tournaments all the time. Really? Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, it was fun for a while, but you know, they go on for like five hours. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess people listen to this podcast for five hours, so I really can't blame them for doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Does she still watch poker, Karen? Uh, no, because we we cut the cable, so we don't really have uh, sports yeah. channels. Smart. Yeah. You, you guys all cut cable too, right? Oh, I cut cable 2011, 2012. Yeah. yeah, we did about 20, what it was, uh, 2013, 14, something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. not. You know, it's funny. I had to convince my mom that she doesn't, you know, my mother is in her 80s. And uh, I had to convince her to that she doesn't need cable anymore because she has like a like an Amazon Fire Stick. So she watches YouTube and Amazon and whatever off. Or, or, or Netflix and everything off her Amazon Fire Stick, and she says, "Well, what do?" We, she, and she gets her internet through DSL still, which, you know, whatever. But I said, "Why do you need cable?" She goes, "Well, because I watch the news and I watch Jeopardy." And I'm like, "So you're paying like almost a hundred dollars a month <laughs> to watch Jeopardy, and the news you can watch on your laptop." Just go directly to the news channel. You don't have to do that. And she goes, I, I, I guess so. It's like, yeah, it saves you a hundred bucks a Did month. Did you help her and change it? Well, I'm going to – I think it's just – it's habit, right? It's hard, you know, especially when you're when you're older, you'd have a hard time breaking that habit and realizing like, no. So you don't have to pay for cable. So anyway. It's like Dan with his breakfast cereal. <laughs> right? Dan with his breakfast cereal. This is true. The Weetabix or whatever? Mm-hmm. I pay $60 a month in Weetabix. Yeah. Does anybody start it like there's a Razor Club? How about a Weedabix Club? 
Yes. Yeah, right. monthly subscription. Everything's going to subscription. <laughs> so do a subscription it's still, plan. It's Club Weedabix. Hey, you know, you laugh. You laugh. But I actually I won. have an offer from Amazon to be part of the Weedabix Club, essentially, for $5 a month. They will just oh, keep yeah. on sending me Weedabix until I press stop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I basically, I was in the Bacon of the Month Club for, for about three years. <laughs> really? Bacon? Yeah, I would get, I would get a pound of like artisan bacon from different artisan farms every every month. Wait a minute, artisan bacon. So they take the pigs that are artists and are actually really, and then they kill them. Right. Well, that's what they do. So you take the visual effects artist, you sit them in a chair, right? <laughs> that's right, and fatten them and up, and you don't let them to move for yep. like you make them work fourteen hours a day, and yep. they, and you and you feed them junk food for a long time. Uh-huh. So it's it's like uh, it's like, and then their liver is the best part. It's kind of like a foie oh, gras, so you know, tender. The foie gras liver, you just really damage the liver by giving it a lot of alcohol to just That's go right. with it. And then you have the 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 VFX foie gras is is basically how you how you achieve that is do that. Yeah, Lots I, of it makes sense. Lots yeah. of overtime. Well, that's and then by the uh, time uh, they're DD, dead, you say at, uh, it's a net sixty. The Avengers, I got rolled in salt daily. Yeah, <laughs> I got rolled in salt. The joke's on them because it's a net 60 on the paycheck. And so by the time you get your paycheck, you're dead. So they just keep the money. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, it's true. No, yeah. But all right. So let's talk about filmmaking in general. And like, how, do you, how do you make these films and why are uh, – why is it – well, first of all, these are very cheap films to make. So if they don't succeed, it's not that big a deal. But why is it that these are so – I don't think they said that when they are in the first crew meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's going to be a shitty film, so don't worry about it so much. Just show up on time. <laughs> what? Say that again? But these films are, did not really make it. Do you think do you think these are underrated? Do you think these are things that people should like little hidden gems in some ways? Well, I think it's a hit. Well, they're underrated the f- in the fact that nobody knows about them whatsoever. Right. So, but do you think that people should know about them? I think the people that know about them already absolutely. I think the people that should know about them already know about them because I honestly I think there's ideas in there that other artists have looked at. And gotten inspired them to write other things, right, right. And so I think it's almost like a, an artist's artist, you know, a musician's musician. You know, I think the people, the comedians, goofy film. What is an album that you would compare this to, Eric? Say something like Run, Running, Run. Uh, anything by uh, say anything by like um, a Robert Fripp album or a Frank Zappa album that artists would be really inspired mm. by it, but the general public would be like, uh, I don't really like Frank Zappa. But meanwhile, Hot Rats inspired all these other people or or a Genesis, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway or something that's an arty art album. A Bowie album would be great, would be um, like low. Okay, but, but th- here's the thing, Eric. Here's where I think that that's not necessarily the right analogy because uh, – so long as an, artist will, an artist will appreciate Frank Zappa, but I think that people just don't know about this film. Anyone can watch Run, Ronnie, Run and say, this is a funny movie. Anyone can think, watch it. Yes, but what I'm saying is the reason why I think the people that know about it, I think artists already know about this film. So I think a lot of comedians, what I'm saying, probably know about I've seen it a million times. 
Yes. But let's go back to the original story that, that Dan said, which is that basically the studios refused to put it out, right? And so it's the executives who didn't like this. The executives are the one who was like, eh, let's just bury it, you know, somehow. Why, why do you think that? It, uh, Dan, do you have a theory behind why they, they try to bury this movie? I like the way yeah, you go I to think Dan that both to get like movies inside are, the like I think that with uh, <laughs> I think that the, with Dave Foley's movie, I think that Dave Foley, like he was doing uh, news radio and stuff like that, and he had a certain popularity, but he had, wasn't really a big star yet. So they opened it, but it didn't open very big, and they, it was just one of those, you know, it was like just take a chance on this on this actor who has a good TV show. Uh, like they had already done, he had already done uh, brain candy with kids in the hall a year previous and that kind of underperformed. So I don't think that there was a lot of emphasis to put a lot of money behind marketing this thing. I mean, it was released, but I don't think it was a really wide release and nobody, it didn't make any kind of splash at all. And with run Ronnie run, I think that that, that stuff was so ahead of its time that, uh, that, executives didn't even know what to do with it. Like they just like, this was not a part of nineties comedy culture at all. Like that was very, very shockingly new material that wouldn't become popular really until like the mid to late two thousands. Um, and now in like, uh, in terms of like the time frame now, uh, I would say that run Ronnie run is for the, not to generalize too much, but for younger audiences, might meaning like you know, people in their twenties and early thirties, uh, run, runny, run may be too uh, nasty, mean spirited, and uh, and offensive for their current taste. Uh, and I think that's that, uh, something like uh, the wrong guy would actually play extremely well with younger audiences because the Netflix numbers on things like Friends are amazing uh, due to uh, younger mid and younger millennials love friends. I think it's one of the greatest shows ever. I agree with you. I love that show Um, and movies like clueless were like, these were the movies that like movies like clueless were the movies that, that became popular with um, mid uh, like uh, younger millennials today. And I think wrong guy fits more into that, uh, that sort of, uh, that pitch window. Uh, so I think that Run Ronnie Run is a little bit outdated uh, by now, but it's grown into other kinds of comedy, like I said, with Hot Rod. And uh, and actually, uh, Wrong Guy would do well if that were better known today. So, but Run Ronnie Run, you're saying that the millennials wouldn't would would not like it as much because it is offensive. And by offensive, you mean it makes fun of stereotypes of people, right? Well, I think that uh, Run, Runny, Run, like, I mean, and I don't think this does this in any actually uh, cruel way at all. I think it's making fun of making fun of things, essentially what's going on. But like Run, Runny, Run is it, like it comes off in a very sort of, uh, uh, means a much more mean spirited or edgy kind of comedy than is popular today. And I think that, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, like people feel how they feel about comedy, but like, I think that peanut people are generally leaning towards stuff that makes them feel a little bit better than feel a little bit meaner. And so, uh, comedians like John Mulaney, who's totally hysterical is become extremely popular, uh, over people, um, that say like, Sarah Silverman's crew represent. Uh, Sarah Silverman right. is a little outdated now because she's so harsh. And uh, John Mulaney is too, very, very he? kind and fun. Right. Exactly. That's what I mean. And so Run, 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 Ronnie Run uh, features like the Jack Blacks, the, uh, the uh, Sarah Silverman's, you know, like the sort of 
a harsher edged kind of comedy that's uh, older, you know, like uh, that uh, people like me and you know, Gen Xers really get are in touch with. Um, but that I think that most uh, younger people don't really see the angle on and think is uh, uh, uselessly cruel. So I think that, and I can't speak for them, but I think that's the general feeling I get from them. And I don't criticize them for that. That's their view of what's happening right now. Um, but the, I think that uh, run, Ronnie run has sort of um, found a life in that, like what you said, Eric, it's like it inspired other artists to do things that were a little bit more in touch with the current zeitgeist, but still take these weird kinds of chances. And that's what I really like about this. It's just like when you brought up uh, Frank Zappa, I mean, like there's incredibly offensive shit on Frank Zappa's albums, you know, and uh, if you look at it in the way that Frank Zappa looked at it, which was like, let's, you know, like uh, electrify and challenge our ideas about what's going on. We're not trying to be offensive, but we're trying to shock ourselves um, and and dig out the, you know, the corners of our uh uh, you know, uh, of our own feelings, then that's really good. But if you're listening to it for music, people don't want to hear it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So it was interesting. I mean, uh, there was a scene and I think I described it to you guys, but I don't think it was in the edit that I saw on YouTube. Um, but there was a scene that was happening around the time when Ronnie, was doing the meditation thing with uh oh, it's great with jeff the, goldblum with jeff goldblum which was hilarious uh he does there's a long shot that he does where he goes on a rant about something um and he's walking around the gazebo outside right and he is ranting about how his life is fucked up or whatever is going on <laughs> and he's He's doing it and he's got his, you know, his, his accent, his southern redneck accent as he's walking around. But the, the, he goes around in a circle and the camera's following him and it's doing a full 360 as he's walking around. And as he goes around, he gets to one end and you start to see you, he breaks the wall. He breaks the fourth wall and he walks on the crew side of the shoot. So you see the director and all the grips and everyone that are shooting the shot that he's doing. And he starts so to – he starts to – he loses his accent and starts talking like normal David Cross. And then he starts bitching about the movie that they're currently shooting and everything that's going wrong on the shot. And then slowly turns around and then break, breaks back through the fourth wall in the other direction, regains his accent and starts back right back where he started on the other thing. It was such a brilliant thing. Did, that wasn't in this cut, right? I, I mean, I looked and it's like, did I miss it? It there wasn't was in, there, in this right? cut. I, yeah. You remember you describing it. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's so I think so parts funny. of what you were talking about are used in the end as part of the uh, credits gags. It, there was but, credits uh, gags. The there was credits gags, but this was in the middle of the movie for sure. Like in the middle, it was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It was really funny. Really funny. Uh, Jeff Goldblum was really funny too. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is great. <laughs> this but is he, true. What's funny is, is Jeff Goldblum always plays himself. Like he he's a really good at making fun of himself in a lot of ways. He's like that's one of the things he he's known to do now in some ways. Eric, that's like doing? since Annie Hall when he uh, was uh, in the background, he was like, I, I forgot my mantra. Like he's been doing that kind of shtick since uh, the mid seventies. <laughs> yeah, really see him uh, come into his own post Wes Anderson is really exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
You okay, Eric? I'm okay. He's another one that, like Bill Murray, I think that uh, doesn't get enough credit for the uh, Wes Anderson blooming after uh, Life Aquatic. I thought he really, really, that's why he's, that's why uh, Goldblum is so big in, uh, and so great in Ragnarok is because when you look at Life Aquatic, uh, when he plays the, uh, the sort of effete yacht owner guy, uh, like I think that's when people really realize like the comedic power of Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) Oh, he's wonderful. He's really great. Yeah. I think, you know, what's funny about Ragnarok is that it's, it, it was felt of like, okay, well, this is when Ragnarok starts like, okay, they're kind of making it a little bit more of a comedy, right? They're, they're, they're taking Ragnarok and they're going along the lines of a Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera. But it wasn't until Goldblum shows up on that in Ragnarok that he go, oh, they're taking this to another level. This is this is because he was so good at just being the calm and seemingly generous and kind Jeff Goldblum, but really just doing horrible things to people with the completely wrong tone of voice, you know, like the melting stick thing. That was so funny. (laughs) So funny. He's really he's really good. He's a talented guy. Yeah. And then the ship with uh, it's it's my birthday sort of part, uh, uh, button that one that one's really and he's not even in the scene but you still love the the button is there and it just you just think of Jeff Goldblum and he's not even in the scene which is hilarious. There's a Jeff Goldblum movie I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of it but I really recommend looking it up that it may only be available on YouTube and it's called Mr Frost and he plays a uh, basically the devil uh and it's a horror movie but he's playing a very very sly almost christopher walkeny style of performance and i okay. watched this thing like, like maybe 40 times when i was 18 or 20 years old i haven't seen it since it may be a terrible movie but like there are some line deliveries in that if you like jeff goldblum that is like that is some that's some good undiscovered business if we're talking about undiscovered youtube movies then i would say mr frost is right up there that's interesting that's mr interesting. frost I've never Mr. even heard of that. What year was that? Let me see if I can find it. I don't remember what year uh, that came out, but I seem to associate it with the same sort of period of time as when you did like deep cover with uh, Lawrence Fishburne, which I also loved and also has a great Jeff Golden uh, performance in it. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, like it's in the same zone as like, um, you know, uh, it's sort of like a, a says knockoff Abel Ferreira kind of a flavor. So I'm going to say it's like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, Mr. Frost. Yeah, it's on YouTube, the whole thing. Uh, 1990. Huh. All right. I'm going to check that out and see if that's any good. I remember loving it when I was younger, and uh, it might be worth a watch again. It may be terrible. I don't know. I'll check it out tonight, though. Well, I think a lot of people have some time to sit around and watch silly movies, and uh, I think that something like uh, like these two is definitely something that would be worth Speaking of time, how have you been in your time at home? My time at home? Yeah. Um, it's been a challenge. It's taken a few few days to adjust. Yeah. You know? Because especially, like, you know, my house, like, we have a big open living space, as you remember. Yeah. And so everyone's kind of congregating in that area, right? Including me, because that's the only place I can set up a home office, right? And so... Luckily, I have these noise-canceling headphones, and I can try to get some stuff, but it's still a real challenge. And we kind of have to find a routine, but 
you know, and we didn't necessarily want to take everything away from the kids because technically t- this week is their spring break. So I didn't want to tell them like, no, you have to read a book, you know, constantly. Yeah. But so we're trying to give them a little better freedom or do whatever they can to enjoy their lives. Um, so it's a little bit tougher, but you know, I'm not there, two and a half hours a day normally is me in traffic in LA. Right. Yeah. So that's two and a half hours that I have back. <laughs> Right? Yeah. So that's a good thing. But I do lose efficiency in other ways. Um, I lose efficiency in terms of what's possible to do from home, uh, what's actually what actually I have to do, right? Because a lot of things have been put on pause until we figure out what's going on uh, at work and stuff like that. So it's it's difficult. Uh, but, you know, I keep myself... I keep myself distracted in some ways. And you have your main company. I'm just going to ask this question. I don't want to, I know we're on a movie podcast, right. but your main company is in Europe. Are they still follow? Are they following a, a kind of the guidelines that California is, which Everyone is like is. April? Everyone. They, they, April they, did it be, they did it before the, like maybe four or five days before LA did it. Okay. Basically they did the same. There's more strict there. Like the only stores that are allowed to be open are food stores and drug stores. And that's it. So you can't go – I think maybe hardware stores in case you need something fixed you know, or whatever. But uh, there's – that's it. Um, so they don't really have uh, – they were in the same thing. So the entire company is working from home. Everyone's working from home. Uh, tomorrow we are going to do a all-company meeting on uh, Google Meet and I don't know how 400 people was going to work on Google Meet, but we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, that's – that's going to be hard. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, so there you go. There you go. Uh, but you guys have been able – I mean, Eric, you've been working from home for the last year and a half anyway, right? Year? Uh, I did about three months total in the past year and a half working for other places. Okay. So, so yeah, a year and a half, year and a quarter. Uh, but but now, is it, it's harder with the whole family there, right? Well, I have my own studio. Okay. So um, I have, you know, upstairs I have a room, and then I have a studio in the back, which my right. wife took over for her uh, Pilates. Pilates but right. I still uh, go in there, and it has a desk, and I'll just I could write for five six hours, right? Or and make phone calls, so I can swap. I get a little antsy even when I'm home alone, so I'll mm-hmm. rotate between rooms and couches or stand. So that what's your advice for people who are who are having to? be at home like that's a good advice to yeah switch locations you want to switch locations because you want to be able to feel like you're in your office so if you look at your natural habitat for an office when i was last working for this place uh you know i had a standing desk and i would sit on the couch even though the owner said don't sit on the couch i would sit in the corner like a chair at the corner with my laptop facing out you know but i just like that and so i would be there for three hours couch standing desk sit down desk Back and forth. So I'd rotate between three places. And that way you just kind of feel, and then a coffee break. So I set the same thing up here. I have my studio here. I have the next room. I go outside or I use my daughter's room. It has a big old couch that's firm. Mm-hmm. I, can, I write there mostly when she's gone because the breeze is nice mm-hmm. or in the back. So you just get used to it. But sitting in one place, you just get antsy. So <clears throat> the other thing too, honestly, Chris, I've been to your house. Um, what would be really good too is if when you go through the kitchen and you take a right, there's those laundry machines. Yeah. Put a chair there, a hardback chair, 
with a laptop yeah. and just work from the laundry machine. No, just like a chair in front of it. And there's okay. a, like, just right there because it's totally different and it throws you off. But there's a chair and you all of a sudden you focus. Right. Well, I also have outside so I can go outside. Yeah. And I think I can do that. I'm actually recording the podcast from my son's room right now. Yeah. Because uh, of all the fluffy materials everywhere, it's actually pretty good acoustics. I'm actually stuffed the microphone facing his bunk bed, which has got, you know, <laughs> mattresses and stuffed animals everywhere. So it's like, eh, that's going to be pretty good. So yeah, that's... I think rotating and moving is helpful. Okay. And if, in this laptop age, staying in one place, you just start to say to yourself, oh, I don't like it here. I'm getting distracted. So you just move. Right. You're just like, I'm going to go to a new place and you can sit and you probably get like two hours of really good work done. Right. And then you get up, you go to another place, just like in the office. You would get up, get coffee, talk to somebody, go sit down again. You do those yeah. natural breaks. It's and talk to yourself a lot. I'm good at talking to myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I can talk to myself a lot. Are you, then, manage, are, are you managing to work at home, Dan? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working at home as we speak. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I'm uh, right. clicking through Photoshop file, but the, uh, yeah, no, I'm, um, I, uh, my home office is, uh, our former closet. So it, it is literally about 35 square feet, maybe 30 square feet, uh, right. and, uh, and pitch dark. Uh, and I'm in here from approximately eight in the morning till, uh, six or seven at night. And, uh, uh, and occasionally wander out to, you know, check in with everybody else and go get some coffee and, and, uh, and, and see what's going on in the world. But, uh, it has been a shut in lifestyle <laughs> more so than even usual. So it's, uh, that closet it's, uh, it's been idea productive is cool. And it's good. And I'm so very, very glad to have the work, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's been handy. You know, I'm, I'm glad that the, uh, uh, the work is available. And I think for my part, like I spend, you know, when I'm normally going back and forth to work, I, I do about five hours total of travel time a day on the train. And, uh, that is a huge waste of time. And, uh, it's much more efficient for me to, uh, work from home and, uh, and send things back and forth. But I think that things would have to change, uh, culturally in VFX for that to become a truly popular thing to do because people just don't trust you. And uh, Isn't that uh, it's funny. easy for Why me to talk and do a podcast while I'm manipulating materials, but that's the way it works. You don't think people trust you in VFX? Well, there's an article that came out that was about. I agree with that, by the way. Visual effects studios saying they will not let people work from home because of the NDAs, and so they force them to come to come to work even during the. Uh, you know, the, the safer at home act happening and it was outrageous. And it went in the LA times and Hollywood reporter or whatever. It was just all over the, the news and everyone was horrified by it. At which point then all the major visual effects studios put out press releases saying we are working hard to make sure that our artists can work from home. Right. And the fact is that they can, right. They totally can. It's not a problem. And ironically, visual effects is the one place that can work from home as opposed to actual production, right? If you're actually shooting a movie live action, 
you can't work right now because you have to get together with a big group of people to shoot a movie. And that's the one thing that you can't do. But you can actually all work remotely using internet you know, connections and VPNs to connect to work and work. So I think it's interesting that right now visual effects is the one part of the Hollywood branch that really can function through this period much easier than anyone else, right? And especially for a uh, industry that is so, uh, it's so hard on your relationship with your family and, you know, trying to get out and, you know, and have a life outside of visual effects can be very difficult for people, um, because it, the hours can be extremely long and the, uh, you know, work can be, you know, a little bit grinding for especially large pipeline style jobs. And, uh, I think it's much better to be able to allow people freedom of at least being, you know, nearby their family, <laughs> you know, so like, like, it's incredible to be able to get off work at like seven o'clock and just see my family instantly instead of going, okay, well, I'm going to see them in maybe two and a half hours. I'll get home and everyone's right. already asleep, <laughs> you know, like right, it's, right, uh, it's right. a major change. Yeah, it is. It's nice. And it's also, you know, it's interesting because my, my kids, will be wandering around and then they'll like look over my shoulder and then they'll see what I'm working on. Right. Like, Oh, what's that? Oh, that's cool. And that's, you know, it's like bringing yep. your kids to work, which sometimes is a benefit for them to learn about you. But now it's like bringing your kid to work every day. <laughs> right? Yeah. So they get to really see it and be right. part of it. And, and that's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thing that can be frustrating though, because they do interrupt you. They, they, and they've been good. They're like they 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 sometimes forget. They're like, "Oh, Dad, I got to show you this thing." Whatever. It's like, "Sweetie, not right now. I'm I'm working." And they're like, "Oh, right." They just forget that I'm working. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's the one thing that's been a little bit of a challenge for them is like right. sort of understanding that. And it's hard. I can't tell them it's like, "You got to be quiet." Like I got to be able to give them their their freedom as well. You know, they can't just be like locked up in their room the whole time. But you know, whatever. Are you allowing them outside? But this time? doesn't really take away any more time than when you're at, actually at work because people fuck off all the time when you are at, at a studio. Like, That's you true. know, every 20 really? minutes or so, you see someone get up and then, like, you know, chat by the snack machine or whatever it is. Whereas, like, you know, like if you're spending that time instead of talking about how, you know, bad Westworld was or how good Westworld was uh, the previous night and arguing about this, like, you actually got time to hang out with your kids for six minutes. That's a more valuable yeah, yeah. use of that time. Oh, completely. Uh, yeah. And so I think that there's like, there's a health, there's a mental health aspect to it that I really endorse. Of course, it's like, it's easier. It's easy for me because the kind of work that I do requires no actual mental work at all. Like I don't have to think while I paint, I just paint. Um, and so like when I'm normally working, I have like either podcasts on or I'm like, I have, you know, uh, a TV show playing, uh, you know, behind on a window and I just listen to it. Like I've made my way through almost all of supernatural in the past like three weeks, uh, while I'm doing a lot of work. Um, uh, so like, that's not true for everybody and programmers and people that really have to think hard about what they're doing. But like, even right. so, yeah, I think you'd be doing a better job if you had the ability to communicate with people that you loved instantaneously rather than like, Oh, well, I'm going to go talk to Dan about movies because that'll waste some time and I'll straighten out my back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's a different approach. Like the way we think about things are like, okay, I just... Still, still trying to consider what it all what it all means in terms of my my workflow. But you know, the, they they're they're going to have to learn how to go to school 
uh, pretty soon because now they're on spring break, but next week they're going to have to start school remotely, and that's that's going to be difficult. And then yeah. keeping them on top of that, it's going to be hard while I'm also working, working. You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, we'll see. But, you know, no. You could duct take them to like chairs. I, I could. So you asked if I let them go outside. Yes, I do let them go outside. Uh, and because our neighborhood is extremely safe and uh, they, they know to stay a distance from people and they, they, they do that. And there's actually a lot of people walking outside right now, yeah. but they're all keeping their distance. Everyone, like, they practically cross the street when they see someone coming in the opposite direction or whatever, you know? So people are really keeping their distance. And then my kids want to play with their friends. And yeah. so they go on a bike ride, but they bike, like, across the street from each other, right? So they still try to manage that. And we go so with strange. them to make, to make sure that they can do that. But another thing that's become very big, and, and this was completely organic, and the kids figured it out on themselves. Like, we gave our kids uh, Chromebooks uh, for Christmas a few Christmases ago, and they love them. You know, Chromebooks are really cheap. You know, you can get them for like 200 bucks, something like that. But they absolutely love them because they can do, you know, 90% of what they want to do in terms of a computer on that thing. And uh, they can install Android apps on them too. So they they've all put – Hangouts, Google Hangouts of all things. Have yeah, that's there. great. And then my kids uh, have influenced their friends to get Chromebooks too because they're like, these are great and I have a keyboard and blah, 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 blah. And so all their friends now have end up getting Chromebooks as well. And they've all gotten familiar with Chromebooks because Chromebooks is what basically all the schools are using. All the schools are using Chromebooks now because Google Classroom is kind of universal across all these schools. So – all the kids are familiar with Chromebooks and they love them. And so now all of a sudden I saw him. He was sitting in his room and he had a he had a, a Google Hangout going with about eight or ten of his friends. And they're all in little individual like, you know, uh, boxes all looking at each other through their little webcams. Uh, and then they all connected on their uh, Nintendo Switches. <laughs> And they're all playing like a game together on the, the Switch, but they're all video chatting with each other at the same time. So they kind of used it like a Discord channel in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, and and he'll he'll do that for That's hours. Yeah, he'll do it for hours and hours. And you know, I bet, and they were like, well, you know, it's like, but this is his only opportunity for him to hang out with his friends, and that's the only way he can do it right now. So um yeah, it's it's very strange, and you know, I'd hate to take that away from him. So, we have been a lot more lenient in terms well, of like, their I think online there's a, time. Uh, like, there's an openness, so being able to see people's faces, I mean, like, it makes a big difference. Uh, and yeah. I think that, like, you see, like, I've been in more Zoom chats in the past like week and a half than I have in the past four years. <laughs> you know, it's just insane. Yeah, like people uh, needing to uh, actually see people's eyeballs is a, is a big deal. And you're actually end up connecting with people that you haven't connected with in a long time because you're you need to like you're not just limited to seeing someone that's just down the street or someone that you work with, right? You feel you need to connect with someone, but you basically because you have Zoom or Hangouts or FaceTime or whatever, you can connect with anyone in the world. So suddenly you're like, wow, I haven't spoken to this person in twenty years or whatever. Why don't I connect with them and right. just get on a video chat? And yes, video chat has become way more important than a phone call. <laughs> Wait know? a minute. So you're calling a lot of old friends and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. 
I figured that because you called me the other day and we talked and it was really nice to hear from you. But I was like, oh, Chris is getting antsy at home. And so he's calling everybody. And it's true because you are used to driving and then being in an office and interacting, doing your other podcast, which is with a lot of different people. And so you're constantly um, conversing with people. Do you know what I'm saying? You, you, You have a tempo on things. Whereas for me, what's been going on has been not a major, you know, it hasn't been um, as jarring right? because I've been used to this because I've just been working at home, you know? Um, so not to say that it hasn't caused a lot of problems for me, it has, but right. it's just, you know, I don't need to have that interaction the way I can see that you do because you're in an office environment. Well, you know what? It was, it was interesting because, you know, obviously I've been trying out different things and we can chat over stuff. Uh, and it is important, uh, but it was so cool because, you know, the, the fact is you do just live, you know, uh, you know, not that far from me technically, but I hadn't seen Nancy and uh, Olivia in forever. Well, they don't so, like you, so they avoid you. But that's not I, a negative. That's not a negative. I, I understand. But suddenly, <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It's probably been five, six years since I've seen them, and, and that which is silly. And then suddenly, like, oh, well, let's at least video chat. And it just seems so easy. So, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's yeah. really great. But I could tell the other day because the kids were there. And you're so used to at least a block of the day is, you know, lawn and other people that you work with, you yeah. know. And it's different. And so you get used to that. Um, well, when I left my last job to just, you know, focus on my sh- project, like my days in the first month were brutal because I was like, I was literally in the kitchen like, oh, my God, I'm a home alone. <laughs> I'm home alone. So right. I'm talking to myself. I have to take walks because I would be so stressed out because you're just yeah. like, oh, my God, this inv- different environment. So you're like, ah, and I go to Larchmont, just walk up and down Larchmont. Right. And you're so caffeinated, you can't really just get a coffee because it's like, I, I can't get another coffee. So you just walk like a homeless guy. Um, right. But I have a question to ask you guys. One of the big things that I've noticed that's going on in this tragedy that we're all dealing with is that I just keep seeing these things about movie theaters, like really taking a huge hit. Like they're really in trouble. Yeah. Companies, movie theater companies. And they're like, it's really going to affect yeah, like, they're entirely shut down right now. Yeah, like, you know, are we going to have movie theaters now? Well, it's not just movie theaters. It's actual movies too, right? They yeah. can't release all these movies. It's going to be months and months before movies can come out in movie theaters anymore. At which point, I mean, that's something I've been saying. I mean, yes, the movie theater is in trouble, but the movie theater – kind of needed to be in trouble honestly speaking it was already kind of in trouble you know streaming was basically <laughs> what people were going to be going to anyway now they have no choice but to stream right so but that is basically right. what the future is going to be the future yeah. is going to be this people aren't going to be going to the theaters that much anymore it will be a novelty to go to the theaters right in the same way that it's a novelty to go to the opera or a novelty to do anything else, right? Yeah. You didn't it wasn't it's not so so going to the theater is just not yeah. And so the movie the, the movie business, the the traditional movie business of releasing movies in the theater, that has to adapt now or it will die. So 
I think that the you know, and you're starting to see it. The, uh, aren't they releasing certain movies like now yeah, on now. stream? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they have no choice, right? They have no choice. Dan, what do you think? I agree. Well, I, I agree. The, uh, like I think that it's going to. <laughs> I think that uh, they're going to have to change the way they do business. And I agree with you guys that like, they're going to have to change the way they do business anyway, but it's interesting in that it's happening so fast. It's also revealing a lot of other things uh, about what needed to change and how, what people need from the movie theater experience, because like we were saying with, you know, needing to see FaceTime with other people, right? Like, now you see a lot of, and Eric, you sent this link out of uh, like how people can watch Netflix together online, you know, and like that people really do value this sort of like collective movie experience is still very true. And uh, it isn't just like people shuttering themselves away to watch Netflix. Like people do want to get together in groups and uh, experience and socialize things together. Right. Uh, and I think that, and socialize about it. Exactly. And I think that's a very, that's something that wasn't entirely clear prior to this, but that really reveals the fact that like the impetus to go to the movie theater, for me, it's socialization. It's that it was socializing with other people that love movies, talking with the movie afterwards, et cetera, all that stuff. And also seeing it on the biggest possible screen, but it really is like, it is a, it's a collective experience that you can't get out of just simple home viewing. And I think that this reveals that people still want some way to do that. And uh -huh. they have to think of a new way to get it outside of going to the movies. And so, okay. So you, you say that as, a, as if this is something that's in, embedded in us from our experiences as people that are older, et cetera. But I, you're, I, I agree with you. Not only do I agree with you, but I agree that this is much more native. So my son, 10 years old, his, his, his best friend, who's 11, is on his Chromebook, right? As a, as, as they're literally, on, he's on the Chromebook constantly. So they're always seeing each other. So there's like this virtual version of his friend that's walking around in a laptop constantly. He's like Max Hedrum, right? He's constantly walking around with, with his friend uh, connected. And so they decided that they all want to watch My Hero Academia on, on, on Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming channel it's on. And so he lies the laptop to point towards the TV so that he can watch what they're watching transmitted through the camera. So it's like TV to webcam and he's watching it, you know, in a very crappy quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then my daughter and my son are sitting on either side of the laptop. So there's like the virtual friend that's there and they're all watching it and laughing and commenting on it all together, all three of them. But one of them is a virtual character in a sense. He's in form of a laptop, right? And I was like, this is amazing. What, you know, he's invented the system because they basically said, oh, we all want to watch My Hero Academia together. How can we do this together? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so they invented a cheap exactly. version. Like this is the really curious thing because like, I think that the, I don't think that like that going to the movies as like a classical movie theater experience, uh, like it, it'll be like, I think I agree with you guys. Like it's going to be a novelty that'll continue forever. I mean, it's just neat to go and do that. But uh, there's a core experience of socialization for film that people are going to have to find new technologies to try to support. And it makes me wonder, like, I wonder what co companies are doing now. Like what is Netflix once they realize this and they see this data, like what are they doing to, 
uh, support that experience. Like that, like this is a new kind of gold mine. I think is like, how do we create this sort of like, uh, uh, a curated group experience that people can share together over the net? And how can we increase the technology to support this either through video chats or other kind of, um, uh, chat based stuff? Cause you see a lot, like just, just having text chat is a, a great way to do this on Netflix and, uh, the Chrome extension. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it works, but I mean, people have been, people have been chatting and playing online stuff for a long time. And that just comes from the video. They're games. being forced now though. But it's the, it's the video games have been doing this for, for years, years. Right. And, and it's, uh, who, Parker was telling me this. You guys remember Stephen Parker, right? Uh, he, he was telling me that his yeah, mom, absolutely. who's, who's a, who's a, a retired nurse, right? She gets together with uh, every night with uh, her her other friends who are also retired nurses uh, online and play World of Warcraft together, right? And these are women in their you know sixties and seventies <laughs> that are that are playing World of Warcraft every so night, right? So like, and this that's their sewing circle pretty much, right? It's like oh, well, let's sewing get together, circle. Cool. yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, let's can you play World of Warcraft, and then you know, every now and then they go on an adventure. But I guess most of the time, I bet you they're just sitting around in, in an area of World of Warcraft and just chatting about stuff. You know, uh, but that happens all the time in video games. Video games is actually a very social place, right? That's part of its uh, appeal and part of oh, its without danger. A like that's why you have Twitch and stuff like this. It's, right. So you can share the experience of experience the game. Right. Yeah. And I think that the uh, like what's really uh, like what's really interesting is that like the uh, the way that studios have handled this is to pre now they're releasing movies basically direct to video, so you can see them. Like we just watched Invisible Man, which we saw on the same weekend that supposedly was going to come out on theaters. Like they released it to. Um, uh, on demand, and is it more expensive? Uh, I think by the way, this is going to be a major model. It's more expensive. It's uh, twenty bucks uh, to do it. But then again, like if it was going, you know, if the three of us were going to go see it, it would have been sixty bucks. That's so, right. Like right. it was a it was a perfect sort of like uh, price point. And uh, and I think that what's uh, the the thing that comes out of this and what's sort of interesting is that like uh, the. Uh, like I've always thought like event movies will want to be theater based, like see it on a big giant screen, but almost everything else uh, you are probably more likely to see on a TV with your friends. And this creates a certain kind of class of movies that are essentially one shot, two hour movies that are small events for your friends to get together and watch. And it's 20 bucks. And this is where you get, like, you can put out the Meryl Streep movie. You could put, this is the zone that, like, has essentially, we've talked about before on that podcast, like, this is the zone that's missing from Netflix, is the, uh, the 20 to $30 million drama with big stars, uh, that is not a big TV show. It's just a two hour movie. Like, now suddenly sees another window. Like now that is a, uh, a special event movie that you get on demand for a one-time only thing with particular friends. And that's what happened with, um, uh, with Invisible Man, which is like a modest budget horror movie um, or a, basically a superhero movie. Um, but it's a perfect starter for that kind of stuff. And it's a perfect uh, uh, way to fill that particular gap. And I think they're going to see a lot more investment in movies like that uh, the longer this goes on. You know what I think is the, the the bad thing about movie theaters right now is that even if everybody goes back 
after the 19th, April 19th, and, and all of a sudden everything's, you know, the, the curve is flattened out in terms of to get people to sit next to each other in theaters and feel comfortable is going to be like another nine it's going months. To take a, right. Now, first of all, I don't think it's going to happen on the 19th. I know, I just, but I'm just, I gave that, it, it's going I, to go longer, but the point is it's not good for the it, theater yeah, business. Yeah, you're right, because for a long time, people After. are just going to feel uncomfortable about being next to other people, right? That's right. So give it a year before somebody's like, oh, I'll go. You know, just one person is an example. So right. it's it's going to kill the business because they can't survive, you know, a year and a half of, of sh crap income. Right. And they will. Yeah, it's a very good point, especially money-wise, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, for sure. Well, this actually uh, brings up a different part of it, which is that I think that there's going to be a marriage between what is done for younger audiences. Now, when you talk about stuff you watch on like YouTube or TikTok, like people that are under 30 and under 25 are much more used to seeing extremely low production value stuff. And that's part of the enjoyment of it. And I think that uh, you said, like I just saw an article that BBC is commissioning people to make short films uh, about being um uh in lockdown and uh i think you're going to see a lot more quibi. movies that sort of cross this uh extremely low exactly like the uh quibi the the low budget short stuff is going to be much more acceptable and way more home uh driven experimental work is going to be coming up um you know i saw a thing about tiktok today uh, is that they have uh, people who work for the company who basically block people uh, from using their apps if they are ugly or have a, um, uh, are basically handicapped. What? Yeah. I'll send it to you. Really? That's yeah. terrifying. So in China, there's a group that works with them. So they go through and look at all the users. And if somebody is handicapped or they don't think it fits the criteria of good looking, they ban them. So. Okay. That's not very nice. <laughs> That's brutal. It's brutal. I would not be dude. a TikTok star. <laughs> um, but I just I thought, read... I thought China was into a democracy of some kind. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. What? But what's interesting, uh, I think, I saw, this is a little bit of a right curve, right left turn, right curve, is that I read this interesting article we talked about it the other day, and I think I sent it to you about the CEOs all leaving. CEOs of what? That somebody pointed out that between November and pretty much up until Bob Iger, the largest exodus of CEOs happened. Like the head of FedEx, the head of this, all resigned. Everybody. Oh. Up to about Bob Iger, mid-February. It's like Hulu's president. Eh, I'm going to I'm going to leave effective tomorrow. But it's like a list of 20 something major CEOs. Boeing left. I can understand Boeing a little bit, but like right. literally major corporations lost their CEOs between December ish into mid-February. Right. Same thing with uh, uh, certain congressmen and senators that sold millions of dollars of stock before any that's right so maybe they knew something prior well or they we well we knew about the coronavirus in december we just didn't know the severity of it but they anticipated it right so that's why they left probably i mean it's possible 
Listen, if you were a CEO and you basically said, this might be a good time for me to cash out, wouldn't you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I was Bob I mean, Iger, yeah. Yeah, Bob Iger, my God. Disney's stock is down like 50% yep. in the last few weeks. They owe, I heard, like $6 billion in um, loans. They owe? Yeah. They leveraged themselves a lot, apparently. Interesting. So they're, they're prime. Uh, for getting bought out or something. Something weird's happening to Disney. It's really scary to think. You think that, what was the, there's a lot of people who speculate that Apple may buy Disney. That's what I heard yesterday too. Yeah. What do you think if Apple bought Disney? I think that would be. They have the cash. Well, Apple can buy Greece <laughs> if they wanted to. You're probably right, Chris. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that's, it's interesting. Uh it's yeah. a weird time for the music for for the entertainment business is what I'm saying. It's yeah. a very so, strange so, time. So so Disney is interesting as a as a as a as a as a thing because Disney's everyone thinks that Disney makes, you know, is is known for all of its movies that it makes, right? But over 60% of the income from Disney comes from theme parks and cruises, right? Comes from that part of things. So really all the movies are, are just advertisements for people to go to the theme parks, right? And to the cruises, right? So it's, it's really, a, that's what they're all about. They're all about, those movies are really just advertisements for their vacation packages. Yes. Uh, that's really what they're all about. Obviously, no one's going to Disneyland, no one's going to any hotels, and no one should ever go on a cruise ever again, right? <laughs> so... Have you Those ever things, gone on a cruise? <laughs> I have never been on a cruise, uh, but and I've always been apprehensive. But how often do you hear of sickness happening on a cruise or food poisoning happening on a cruise? It just seems way too often for it to happen. I mean, oh. the if you if you look at the there was a stats on the coronavirus stuff that's happened, and then they have it listed by country, like how many people are affected. They had a separate line item just for the carnival cruise. That's right. <laughs> it was like a long, you know, it was, it, I mean, it's just like ridiculous. Somebody yeah. named it, renamed it, not coronavirus, but carnivalitis or something <laughs> like carnival cruise ships. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because like, well, not funny, but, uh, Gosh, our, one of my coworkers in San Francisco and he says he can see from his back window, he can see the cruise ship just sitting in the bay. It's just Corn. sitting there. Corn. Well, it's empty, but they okay. light it up at night for some reason, which makes it very weird. But I don't know what's going to – I mean, that is a massive structure that's just sort of sitting there. Um, I've yeah. never been on a cruise ship. Have I you ever don't. been on a cruise, Dan? He's Photoshopping. Yeah. I've never been on a cruise, no. I've uh, – no, I'm, I'm, I'm listening happily. Uh, yeah, no, I've never, uh, I've never been on a cruise ship. Uh, I do recommend the, uh, there's a short, um, uh, essay, uh, by, uh, David Foster Wallace called a, uh, what is it? A, a, a supposedly fun thing that I'll never do again. And, uh, it put me off of ever going on a cruise ship. <laughs> so I was saved. I was saved from, uh, from viruses by writing. <laughs> there's no way I'd ever go on a cruise ship. Yeah, it's bananas, man. Not going to do it. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah. Plus, all you do is sit around and eat. It's just like, I, 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 I couldn't do that. Plus, it's European Ocean. I don't do very much different at home, man. Eh? Going on the ocean is not my thing. Yeah. I mean, it's all Titanic to me, you know. 
Never watched. been, never watched Titanic, and I've never been on a cruise. Well, actually, I did watch Titanic. And see, and that's the reason I don't want to go on a cruise. Maybe it'll sink. You did watch Titanic. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no <laughs> pardon me. <clears throat> Pertaining so, to, to that whole thing, I just couldn't understand how they just locked everybody onto that during you know a month and a half ago. It probably would have been healthier just to put them in marine barracks somewhere because it's like a huge petri dish. Sharing the yes. same ventilation system, everything. It's just like you probably made everybody's symptoms worse. There was actually yeah, incredibly quote, dumb idea, but it's quotes like from they from, couldn't or, remove, remove them without them it being political event. Yeah, well, there was a certain political person that said, "I don't want those people off the ship because it's going to crash the economy." Literally, that's what they that person said. So, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Who's who's that? I mean, person? no, it's like cruise ships who do you think said that? <laughs> Bay of entertainment. Huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what was the other quote I heard the other day? That some 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 politician Texan politician said, uh, "Old people would rather die than kill this economy." Meaning yeah. that. That like, are you what? Yeah, I know. There's a yeah. lot of a lot of smart folks out there. I would say that if you were to threaten an old person with death or crashing the economy, they would make a choice pretty quickly, and it wouldn't be for the economy. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you just did that randomly on the street. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Make sure that the yeah. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, that is that situation. Uh, getting back to the movie (laughs) getting back to the movie have you seen other movies chris uh i haven't actually it's been you know what's funny is that the 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 i don't have control over the tv at the house at all right so what's going on on the tv mostly is uh brady watches some some youtuber that's playing a video game that he likes, right? That's a typical thing. Uh, Lily does most of her stuff either on her phone or her laptop. Uh, or if they decide to watch something together, they're going to watch a sitcom that they've seen a million times just because it's familiar. And that's a yeah. very common thing, right? So they'll just like, oh, it's just because they don't want to, they, they want to be entertained by the TV, but they don't want something that they have to give it 100% of their attention. Oh, so. Nice. You know what I mean? So they'll put on something they've seen a million times because then they can follow along without really following along. Uh, So that's what they do. And then uh, I guess Karen started watching a new show called Fresh Off the Boat. And I don't know what channel it's on, but it's about Chinese Americans and it's pretty funny apparently. Uh, but yeah, I, honestly, I'm, I'm the only one that's working in the house in terms of a job job. Right. So I get a little distracted because I try to get my, my work done, you know, um, and right now, unfortunately, Karen is not, she can't, she can't work because they can't, they've, they've pretty much shut down everything at her company. So she can't even remote log into her, uh, her flame or do anything like that. So she's just oh. stuck at home, but I'll tell you what I am doing, Eric is, uh, it motivated me to start exercising more. So I'm, uh, started exercising again. So I'm hoping to come out of this a better person than when it when you know, more healthy, Better. What type of exercises are you doing? Uh, found um, found a thing on my uh, phone called um, Swerk It. It's basically calisthenic stuff. 
but uh, they work you up. You know, you do uh, cardio and muscle and strength and uh, core exercises, and you tell it what you want to do. And you know, it's like I haven't exercised in a long time, so it'll it'll give you a workout. And every every two three days, you do a workout, and uh, it's you know half hour, and it's pretty intense. So I'm going to do it for six weeks and see how that how 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 that works out for me. I really think that I've I've looked at this and it was very scary, uh, but I feel that if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to come out of this a better person, right? A better person emotionally, better person physically, a better person everything else. Because I I think that that's I want to I want to come out of this stronger, and so the only way to do that is to improve who I am as a as a, as a person in different ways, you know. You want to come and, out of this stronger? Yeah. 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 I, uh, I want to make a movie somehow and I don't know what to do because it's hard when you basically don't have, uh, that many people <laughs> that you can work with. Right. And you see all these celebrities that are doing their little home isolation things. Uh, and it's, it's okay. It's not that great. They did one with Shauna the dead. Did you see that? The two guys from Shauna no. the dead. They pretty much reenacted Shaun of the Dead. I did not see but, the Shaun of the Dead one, no. But they're, yeah, he's, they're pretty much like, no, stay home. Don't go to the pub. Don't go to the pub. It was pretty funny. You know, things were really bad. Remember last time we went to the pub? It did not go well for us at all. It was pretty funny. <laughs> pretty funny. I'm actually wondering if I can watch Shaun of the Dead with the kids, but maybe that's not the right movie to watch right now. <laughs> My daughter wants to see 1917. What is the right movie to watch? What's the best COVID-19? What's the best COVID-19? Well, I actually think that these two movies are really darn good to watch right now because it's complete distraction of reality, right? It's it's just goofiness. We watched Vacation, actually, the other day because Vacation is on got on Hulu or something. We started watching um, the, original, the first season. Do you season. find yourself watching things that are more uh, lighthearted and not so depressing? I, yes, but I think that everyone's doing that, right? Everyone's like, I'd rather watch, you know, Weekend at Bernie's than watch, you know, Sophie's Choice, <laughs> right? True. We started watching Third Rock again. Yeah, at the oh, same yeah? time, uh, you have uh, Soderbergh's movie about uh, the virus infection was like number two on Apple uh, or iTunes, rather, uh, for rentals. Right. I heard. So, I heard some some aspect of people want to engage this this way. I think it's really. I, w- I, w- I could not watch Contagion right now. There's no way to do it. I could barely think right. of watching The Shining or The Thing, both of which are either shut in or plague variant movies. Right. <laughs> I've seen those or, movies or, or Misery for would, most of my life. Misery would not be another good film to watch either. Yes. <laughs> oh exactly. my god! Right. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, so so movies not to watch or movies that probably wouldn't want to watch, like things like Misery, The um, Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Yeah, yeah. A Quiet Place. I like Diving Bell and Butterfly. I love that movie. Isn't A Quiet Place (laughs) 2 coming out soon? That's not good good timing on on that movie. Hey, would you let your kids watch Night I think they're going to be releasing all that stuff direct to video. Right. What was that, Eric? Would you let your kids watch 1917? I haven't seen it. Is it out on video yet? Yeah. It is? My daughter wants to watch it. I've seen it twice and I love it, but I'm like, I wonder if it's a little too for 11-year-old. 
What's the most uh, edgy, like, in movie that she's seen? Like something that's like borderline. I don't know if she should have seen it, or maybe she shouldn't have seen it either way. Um. What did we start watching? And she freaked out. Let me think about that because my memory is shot. Um, there was a movie we were watching, and she freaked out. And was it Alien? I think it might have been Alien. Oh, really? Well, my kids have seen Alien. They weren't they weren't too affected by it. They were okay. They liked it. They liked Aliens better, I think. That's no, it's much. It. We started watching it. Well, aliens is a lot more fun. Hell of a lot more fun. Yeah. It. But you mean the new it? Yeah. Not it too, but the one from three years ago. Right. So my daughter has seen both and she loves them. She's, she, in fact, she keeps talking about how she wants to see it over and over and over again. But my daughter is a little, you know, she does her thing. She does her thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I could see why she was upset, so I, I turned it off. Yeah. But, you know, it's, um, it, but I wanted, you know, I thought maybe she might like 1917, but Nancy says no, so. Okay. So, I, uh. Wait, I, wait a couple of years. Wait until she's like, what, she's 11, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah, wait until she's like 13. Um, Yeah. Is she going to do online school? She's already doing it. She's doing it right now. Oh, wow. Okay. She's doing How's it that now. working out? Yeah, it's starting um, up for August. Well, it's working well. Yeah, I mean, she's doing it. Uh, just don't walk in in the middle of it. Right. Yeah, I did. So. Uh, my. Yeah, it was, so my, my, my daughter's dojo, they were celebrating their celebrating the 10 years of the dojo. Uh, and uh, he wanted to celebrate by doing a kihon with everyone, right? But he can't. So he, they all got together on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And all the students, they put on their geese. And they all did a kihon together, each in their <laughs> own location, right? So Lily did it in the backyard. Uh, and he said it was very surreal because he was all by himself in the dojo, but felt like he was, everyone was there with him. So yeah. this, it's a very, you know, you were just talking about it, like this, this, we are doing pretty darn good with our technology these days that we can all sort of connect the way we are connecting, uh, even in different locations, uh, you know, uh, we well, we were just watching these films from the you know the nineties and the early two thousands when basically all you had was a cell phone. You didn't really have video chat like we have now, and now everyone can video chat, and I think it makes a big difference. So, yeah, yeah. it's um it's a different it's an interesting time. I just uh, you know, like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of industries that are just killed. There's going to be a lot of in things that are just all of a sudden going to go. But is that that's not bad? Okay. I'm just saying. Yeah, like it's what the, what what other industries? Okay, is the film industry yes, or the movie theater industry more specifically yes, right? Because trust me, people are digesting entertainment at a much bigger rate than they ever did, right? Netflix is killing it right now. They have to downgrade the quality of Netflix because too many people are people streaming. are on it. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, Switzerland had to downgrade it because it was going to crash the entire Swiss internet, right? So, so movies are being consumed at a massive rate right now. So it's not the movies that are suffering; it's the theater that's suffering, right? And the way uh, we do things, movie production suffering too, because obviously you can't get together and make a movie. Um, but in a restaurant business. Well, this is the question that I wanted to ask you guys: Is well, how is production itself going to be changing due to uh, this this new model? I mean, like you know, if we have to stay indoors for you know an ex like in a very long period of time, depending upon how this breaks, like how are we going to supply the content that Netflix needs to fill its demand? Well, be a big hole. We, we there is going to be a big hole. There is going to be a big hole, but. There's already tons of content that you can go through, right? So what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to say, you may have missed this. Why don't you check this out? Or, or like there's there's a ton of stuff that's out on, on streaming networks that's not really advertised, all right? Is, and it hasn't reached you yet. So there's still a, a massive library that people can go through to, to listen, to to experience that, right? It's like – it's like the movie, uh, the music industry, right? People are still listening to old albums. Why, why can't they watch old movies or old shows, right? People, you were just talking about how millennials are like love Friends. Friends isn't a new show. It's just available. Right? That's absolutely true. Sure, yeah. I mean, like, there's also a need for a fresh, new, and sort of like very, you know, relevant modern stuff as well, and things you can look forward to that you haven't seen and haven't heard about before. And so, you know depending upon how long, how, like, how it changes the culture. Like, what are the answers to how to make – like, one answer is to start making much, much lower budget things and make that the norm. One answer is to be like Japan and make everything animated, you know, and start making much more, uh, you know, <laughs> YouTube-friendly kinds of grown-up animations, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Or the fact is also that while people are not doing things, one thing that you can do – and Eric can attest to this because he's been doing it for so long – you can sit down and write, right? And write a lot of really good content. So when people finally have the time to sit down and write, I think yep. there's going to be a ton of ideas that come out of this. And the theme, that's actually what's going to be very interesting is the theme of what people are going to be writing about. It's going to be very different, right? I, that's going to, I, sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. Um, Dan, is it okay if I talk? Yeah. <laughs> um, Douche. Sorry, I'm being a douche. Um, one of the things I thought about is that if, if all this time people can't interact, go to the theaters, their habits are broken. Like you uh, were in the office, Chris, and then all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm telling you to go sit in the laundry room. Like things are shifting within you. But across all these people and young people, do you, all these new habits and all these new tastes and they're educating themselves now online, right? Because sure. there's time and they're learning about so all of a sudden in five six months the habits the tastes that have been generated up until now are gone radically fast and so all of a sudden what you you know what the studios were developing in terms of shows for you know a certain segment or an age group are completely blown out of the water start from scratch right yeah i yeah i don't know so all the content that they're planning and all the content that they have and they think they know. So it's interesting. It's almost like Dan, and I don't know if you saw this, Dan, but like yesterday, William Morris Endeavor <laughs> let off what, 250 people? Who did? William Morris Endeavor. 
WME. Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't know this. Yeah, no, and UTA is following suit. Huge. So, I mean, like by Friday or tomorrow, it's like 600 people, agents uh, in literary UTA, laid off people, like 100 and something. I mean, it's a blowout. They're just getting rid of all that because you know, maybe they're like, things are just going to change. We'll start from scratch. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, literally on Tuesday, WME, 250, something ridiculous. I'll send you the articles because my, my partner's been sending it to me. And crazy. It's crazy. It's really a strange. Because that's, that Can I ask you guys, seem, uh, are like you looking that's... at ways, uh, other careers to change into in case this is no longer a viable way to move forward? Like yes. in terms of like, for me, it's like visual, I don't know what's going to happen with visual effects. So I have to think about what other things I can do to make money. Yes. Well, Dan, I could, yeah. I can. Uh, one of the things, Dan, and I thought about that. I think about that a lot and I, I panic a lot. I don't know if you guys know that or not, um, but I'm good at panicking and, neurotic neurosis and i think about that <laughs> but i think the thing dan with your skill set too it's like just sitting down and saying um you know essentially if you look at you what you do like your list of if you sat down and i've been doing this and wrote 20 attributes and skill sets and if you try to look at that differently you can just push those to like layman's terms so, well i'm good at stories but i'm also I'm fast working, I can, I'm good at stories, and uh, do you know what I'm saying? And you try to just break what you do down into the simplest words, it helps kind of open up that right, door. Right. That's a good way to think saying, about it. Yeah, to think about what the next move is, and then break the norm in terms of, because um, uh, like one of the things that I love, uh, honestly, it sounds strange, but I love LiDAR. I've loved it for like five years, you know? I love like depth maps and LIDAR and- What got you into LIDAR? You know what? I did a job as a soup where I shot everybody in a parking lot um, with my camera and I made, um, you know, I used like reality capture and um, I just basically made models of them and it was so much fun. It was like 2014 or 2013 that I really love. I would, I, I have tons, a huge database of just buildings in LA that I just would make in um, uh, reality capture and other software I have. Um, and, you know, that's used in construction and military and other kind of visualization. So there's another aspect that you can think, you know, I'm really good at handling data and visualizing data. Okay. So that's a thing on the list. And because there's a right. lot of stuff that your skill set, I'm talking about you, um, you know, handling data and you're a great storyteller. Oh, that's interesting, you know. Well, I don't think I don't think the I don't think entertainment is going away. No, I'm like not. Like I said it before, he asked like, like what it would, is, how do it you is, think? the visual effect and visual effects isn't going away either because movies still need visual effects, even the streaming ones, right? So that's not going away, and uh, and I don't necessarily see this affecting us. In fact, visual effects is one of the only things that's not going to be affected by this, right? So, because you can do it from home. In the oh, yeah. I mean, I feel incredibly lucky. In fact, most of my work in the past year has been streaming. Like, almost right. everything has been streaming. So, so, so that is going to happen. But what will change is uh, how uh, how movies are made and how they are consumed. And that is something that old Hollywood has had a hard time accepting. They, 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 well, they know that it's going to happen, 
but they're not being realistic about the fact that it's happening now and it's not eventually going to happen. You know what I mean? At some point, people are going to stop going to the movie theaters, but they're still going to movie theaters now. So I'm just going to keep making movies that way because I have a relationship uh, that I've developed over years with the, the movie theater franchise. So I'm not about to dump that, right? But they're, they're going to have to dump that, right? The AMCs of the world are going to become dinosaurs, uh, and honestly speaking, I'm okay with that because well, I think what's really sort of interesting is that the well, the way that we've been talking about uh, movies for the past couple of you know for the past year in the podcast is like this is very much like the 1960s to 70s transition um, mm-hmm. between the big studio system to the radical new vision of new Hollywood. And I think that that is happening uh, as we were talking about with Netflix and streaming and stuff like this. And you're hearing a whole bunch of new voices that are using this as a new medium. Um, but something we never mentioned that I think is also part of the sixties sort of transitional narrative is for the sixties and going to the seventies, it was the Vietnam war and Watergate put incredible uh, social pressure on people to want to stop seeing Doris Day movies and start seeing hard movies that really dealt with things. And I think that what has, what is going on right now is, has, has a good chance of being the equivalent of that. Like there is a, there is an incredible stress that's happening to us right now. And people are going to want to talk about that at some point right now. They want to watch a lot of friends, but in a year they're going to want to talk about the, uh, the scars that they've received internally from having to go through this and want to right. express that artistically. And that's going to merge with uh, a new window for their art form to be created in. And studios don't have any idea of what to do to control any of that. I think it's interesting because, you know, even though we, we started this podcast with the intention of giving people escape to not think about what's going on. And then now we're all of a sudden that's all we're talking about. Right. So the, the, the point is that Mm -hmm. uh, I agree. And even my own studio uh, is basically uh, saying, you know, my own work is like, we don't want to have any content out there that's going to be, about the actual problem that's going on right now. All of our stories have to be happy, fun stories, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, but we got, there's a big elephant in the room and we can't pretend it's not there. And it's like, yeah, but our audience doesn't want to hear about that. Yeah, because if you look at like what happened after 9-11, I mean, with 9-11, you had these, uh, you know, the first few months after 9-11, everyone only wanted sweet, happy things to experience. But then Mm -hmm. the next decade plus was dominated by giant blockbusters that essentially deal with the core trauma of 9-11. You see that in every superhero movie there is, giant exploding buildings, et cetera, is Mm -hmm. like became the de rigueur thing to do, you know? And like, this is a part of what we are. This is the biggest thing we've experienced as a global culture. And it's going to come out in art. And now it's coming at an intersection. uh, And also it's like simultaneously forcing an intersection of art and technology uh, that is going to create uh, new ways of telling those stories, which I think is really, it's going to be a fascinating time to see people try to handle this. Right. And this is way bigger than 9-11. Way bigger. Because every single country oh, yeah, in yeah. the world Absolutely. is affected Absolutely. by this, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's so it's it is kind of amazing, you know. To you know, like I had a, a podcast I did someone from Switzerland today, right? And he was in Switzerland, and and I was like, he's in the same boat as I am, and he's in Switzerland, you know. Like everyone in the world is like stuck at home, everyone, yep. 
it's very strange uh, to sort of do that. But it's also kind of wonderful that we can all share a common experience. Experience, right? Even though we have a lot of differences, at least there's one thing. I'm in thing, complete agreement on this. Yeah. One thing yeah, that we can all my connect on. 9 experience as well. Like, it's like when 9-11 happened, I uh, initially thought, like, the day it happened, I was on Manhattan when it happened. And, uh, like, the moment it happened, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to, like, this is going to tear the world down. And we're going to have a riot. I'm going to be in the middle of a riot by the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. instead, everyone came together. And supported each other and cared for one another. And uh, I think that, like, you know, initially saw the sort of like the panic buying at Ralph's and all this kind of stuff that we saw here. Uh, mm-hmm. But more and more, especially through uh, digital technology, like people are becoming more and more unified in a real global way out of pure necessity. Uh, and and it's creating a new kind of social atmosphere. And it's weird to see things like this video game, um, Animal Crossing has become huge in the past week, which is like an incredibly kind social experience, uh, home building game. Uh, and it's a sort of been a, 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 a symbol of the way that people have been trying to treat each other uh, online and socially. And it's all uh, changing that fast. Yeah, it's interesting. It also brings you up the idea about Fortnite, actually, honestly speaking, uh, and about Epic Games and their idea of creating the metaverse, right? So do you guys know about the metaverse yeah. that, that Tim Sweeney's doing? So for listeners who don't know... No, what um, is this? I don't know anything about this. So, okay, so, uh, so so Fortnite, as you know, is a big success for, for Epic Games. And Epic Games, though, is a pretty successful game company, but Fortnite just, you know, was ridiculous. They're making like, you know... $80 million a, a week or something ridiculous like that, right? So they're just reeking in the cash. I, the numbers are, I don't even know, they're not even real numbers to me because they're so high. So they have all this money and they've developed a lot of things. And so Tim basically sees an opportunity that what's happening inside of Fortnite is where there's tons and tons of people that get together on Fortnite all the time. Uh, and so uh, he sees an opportunity to create something called the metaverse, which is basically... Uh, and this is all from what I've heard, you know, from his interviews and stuff like that. It's uh, the idea is to create a, a, a common place where everyone can go and do things. And Fortnite is the best example of that. So Marshmallow, who's a famous, you know, DJ concert, he had a he had a concert inside of Fortnite, so you could join the game, and everyone could experience the concert together as a group. And you could see all these people that were there. It was literally millions and millions of people that were in the concert. So technically speaking, even though it was all virtual, it was the largest concert ever made, right? And there, the, the Fortnite, or what is Fortnite, or what is the metaverse, is basically his Ready Player One world, or what's the, the Oasis, right? He wants to create the Oasis. Oh, wow. I didn't know anything about this. Right. So that's basically what he wants to do. So if you look at all the things that they're investing in, because they're, they're, they're donating a huge amount of money towards different areas and different things, including a lot of things to the movie industry and to people trying to create virtual production or, uh, you know, they did a lot of stuff with uh, ILM and uh, VR and everything. And so that's basically what they're trying to, uh, they're trying to create is the, what they're calling the metaverse, but it, essentially is the oasis from ready player one you go to Fortnite school you go to Fortnite. you know that's just it and so uh that is going to be a, you know that's what they they see as the next level of socialization right you don't have to go out there 
into an actual mosh pit and get physically hurt, you can just go on to the Fortnite version of it. <laughs> yeah. That's spectacular. That's really, really I thought interesting. It also had to, I thought it had to do with also like basically building out the world with photos as well. Well, everything. Right, yeah. you're going to build everything, but he the 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 place is the place, right? So That's he right. has to That's create right. the place. So the metaverse is the place. It's the it's the other universe, the alternate universe. Um, I mean, people have talked about this for a long time, so it's not new. Uh, no. But 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 they have enough money and they have enough technology, or could connect enough technology to make that a reality. So that's a a thing I think that's important. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, because that's, you know, the fact is if people are going to be, if that's people are going to do that, they're going to need a lot of people to help build that world out. Right. They're going to need, uh, architects to build it out. They're going to need filmmakers to tell the stories that are going on there. They're going to need all these different groups of people, uh, to, to build out the universe and to make it a better experience. Um, so it's possible that it could be a big uh, could be a big endeavor for sure, and including the movie theater business, right? That's yeah. spectacular. You know, if you want to watch a movie with a bunch of your friends, you could do that in Fortnite, technically, <laughs> right? You could go in Fortnite and well, all it's always been my whenever I talk about. Uh, what a- Go ahead. Whenever I talk about VR, I always think about uh, I would love to be able to go to 42nd Street in 1971 to go see uh, The French Connection. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, what I, that's my big dream. <laughs> right. And they do that. Okay. Right. And this, this is what they basically do in Ready Player One. It's like, oh, we're going to experience the 80s, which I have a huge problem with. Uh, with the nostalgia part of it, but uh, <laughs> that's what it is. It's like they 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 are like that's that's what it's about. So it's interesting. Yeah. Why do you have a big problem with the eighties? I don't have a problem with the eighties. I love the eighties, except that I found the problem with the fact that people keep nostalgic. nostalgic about it. Right. So like you know the the eighties was interesting, but it's not the only thing that's important right now, right? Stranger Things is like, no, we're going to give you 80s, a lot of 80s. And I, they do a way better job than, than most other things. But like Ready Player One is like the whole point of Ready Player One is how much 80s nostalgia and trivia you know. That's the only way you're going to win. And that is just like, you're kidding me. Because I watched Ready Player Ferris One Bueller's- is almost as misanthropic and hateful as AI is. <laughs> yes. Is like because I saw Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> Off a hundred times, I can win the game of Ready Player One. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? That is that is the, what's valuable in the world. Uh, and I and I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I've seen it a hundred times. But yeah, that's not the, that's the, not going to be what saves me. The from, horror of creating no artwork of your own yeah. is unbelievable to me. It's terrifying. Yes. Yes. I mean, let's make something new, right? And that's actually something I feel very positive about this experience. This is this is something no one has ever experienced in this world. No one has, right? Karen had to go to the doctor the other day because she thought she had something. It turns out she's perfectly fine. She doesn't have a infection or – Wow, or, she's uh, a hypochondriac. Unbelievable. Did, well, yes. <laughs> but she was like, I don't know what to do. And the doctor said to her, she said – she says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And the doctor said, 
No one knows. We don't even know. We're learning as we go. No, nothing like this has ever happened on the history of humanity. So at, to this scale. So we don't really know, right? Even the, uh, I don't. I don't even think the Spanish flu was was as uh, as I mean, worse. obviously killed a huge amount of people. But it, we didn't act the way we are acting now to do this, right? We isolating ourselves, communicating the way we are. Whatever we're doing, it's like it's we just we're not familiar with this. So we're all looking at this with new things. So I actually see this as an opportunity for new art to come out. Right. Well, we're sitting there. We're not going to be nostalgic for the 80s anymore. I think we're going to be saying like, whoa, this is going to be something we experience. It's very unique, you know, especially my kids. My kids will remember this for the rest of their lives. Um, so I think it's going to be. You know, and it may, it may come up over and over and over again because I don't think this is going to be a unique situation. But this is the first time it happened, right? So yeah. that's going to be different. The next time this happens, and it will happen again, we will have learned how to deal with it because of this situation. But this is the first time it happened, so that's the way I see it, at least. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I just yeah, yeah I worry about a lot of people. It's scary time. Yeah, me me too. Time. And the thing is, it's the thing is that people are not necessarily. We have also been an extraordinarily selfish society for a very, very long time, right? Recently, especially because it's like, oh, you know, you know. Listen, we have one of the most selfish people in the world who's president, right? So they are embracing being selfish. Like, I want lower taxes because I care about what I want. I don't care about what anyone else in the planet wants. I want my taxes low because I don't care about anyone else, right? That's a very, you know, I know that seems a little biased, but uh, uh, but that's the way it's been. But currently, the, like, the reason for isolation is not actually about protecting yourself because the chances that you, Eric, or me, Chris, or Dan – actually have a fatal experience from this is actually pretty low. The reason for isolation is actually to protect other people that are more vulnerable because we could carry the disease to them by not isolating ourselves. It's so also it's, to flatten the curve and just to control the that, contagion. But exactly. But flattening the curve is about protecting other people from getting it, right? Because yeah. we, we could be the carriers. So it's about us having respect for everyone else. And I think that's something that's... Yep, this is where that weird pause happened. So there's a uh, there's you know the the cutout and we'll go back and we'll wrap up the podcast. So sorry about this technical difficulty. Like I said, we will get it better next time. Uh, you know what? Let's do this, guys. Let's let's uh, just to be safe. I'm just because this technology's doing. I'm gonna so, say we wrap it up. Hopefully we'll okay. get this technology working a little better next time. But uh, oh yeah, it sees it, it actually has two different timelines going. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we'll see if I can get us all. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see if I can wrap it up and see what we go from here. But uh, <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully uh, you guys are uh, uh, appreciated this podcast. I think it was a really good one. Uh, we'll see. Maybe we do another one some other time. Hopefully, get through some of these glitches, including the fact that there's a a major uh, latency with Dan. There's probably about two seconds before. <laughs> 
<laughs> we get back yes. to each other. I was actually we'll hearing you guys. Uh, I could hear my voice come through on your uh, your phones just a little bit. The delay uh, for me is uh, yeah. about ten seconds from when I'm saying something. So the reason why I, I mean yep. I did this I do this anyway, but like I say giant chunks of things all at once. So I was just like I have to say all of my thoughts right now, otherwise it's going to be impossible to uh, not interrupt everybody constantly and make it sound awkward. Yeah. It's basically like you're like you're calling us from the moon, so the latency of the distance is a little bit distant. <laughs> it's like the, the calls from wow. two thousand one on Jupiter when you have to wait a day or two before the communication goes back and forth. All right. Okay guys. Exactly. Well thank you. Hopefully I can salvage all of the audio on this and uh we'll see what we'll do and I'll let I'm not let gonna you guys kill know. my browser. Call me. I won't no, do don't kill your browser. Stay, stay, stay on, stay on, stay on. And then uh, when I stop recording, we'll see what happens when everything gets. Yeah, started. I'm but, just going to walk away and just call me on my phone if you want me to do something. Yeah, but yeah. I won't reboot or anything. Okay, but uh, one more uh, thing uh, we need to do to uh, wrap it up. So uh, drink. Talk. 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 Drink. Talk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Holy moly. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's some serious latency. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye.